Welcome back to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Brailists everywhere. And coming up this time... If I was going to do a book about a horse, I probably wouldn't have a sort of a large body with four legs coming off and a head. I might put a, a patch of sort of horsehair type fabric because it's not the shape of a horse far away, but it might well be a child's experience of having patted a horse and a, and a petting zoo if they've gone riding themselves. We catch up with the Clear Vision Project and their involvement with the Tiflo and Tactus International Tactile Book Competition. Parents reading with their children. It's an experience common to many households in virtually every country of the world. It's a uniquely special experience for both the parent and the child, remembered for years to come, and often relived as children become parents themselves and parents become grandparents. For many blind people in the UK, it's been facilitated for decades by the Clear Vision Project and its collection of over 14,000 books, each designed in such a way as to simultaneously enable blind and sighted people to read and enjoy them. It's been directed since 2013 by Alex Britton, and she joined me on the podcast to tell me more about the project and its involvement with a competition to find the world's best tactile book. I started by asking her to describe her own introduction to the world of Braille. Well, so I, hmm, what was I doing? I was um, doing a, a Masters in Children's Literature and I was coming towards the end of my course and I was also working for a, um, a university as a volunteer coordinator, matching um, students who want to do some volunteering with charities and community organisations and things. And I was coming to the end of my Masters and I was like, I'm going to have to get a job. I want it to involve books. I have tried publishing and so I don't find that terribly interesting for me. Um, I want to do something that does some good. I think I'm probably going to have to go and be a librarian. Oh, no, that means (laughs) going back to uni again. Um, hmm. I was pondering around on some some uh, some job boards on, on SLIP, which is the, um, the registered body for, for librarians, informational professionals. And I saw an advert and it said, do you want to manage a Braille library? And I was like, oh, well, that sounds awesome. That sounds really exciting. A couple of people on my uh, my master's course were Braillists and um, I, I was was intrigued by um, by Braille kind of as, a, as an entity. Um, if you can call it an entity, I'm not sure, a language? Uh, well, it's definitely not a language. A code is what we a tend code to call is, it. Yes, thank you. Code is a, is a technical a technical term. Um, and it wasn't exactly librarianship. It was running running a charity. And I was like, yep. well, that seems pretty interesting as well. You don't need um, a qualification, of course. No, <laughs> just you don't probably need a, a bonus. qualification. You just need to be willing to do everything from, you know, sort of strategic planning to um, to putting the putting the bins out. Um, and everything in between because that's how life works in a in a small charity um, and it looked awesome and I applied and to my utter staggerment they said yes um, it was a bit of a baptism of fire um, I arrived for the interview I actually had food poisoning um, which was a bit of a disaster um, so I arrived at the interview sort of white and shaking and um, uh, feeling really unwell and to be presented with um, three pages of ink.braille in grade one to translate um and uh i can't have done that bad a job because they did give me the job <laughs> um but um it was uh yeah i was suddenly immersed in this world which i didn't know huge amounts about um as i said i'd um 
I had a, a couple of friends who were Braillists, um, and my my grandfather lost his sight when he was in his forties, but never learned Braille, and I knew that that was something that he had always regretted. Um, so the the opportunities that he hadn't kind of had as a result of that, I remember thinking this is a really important thing. It's it's essential that children get these opportunities and the adults have these books which they can share with their their sighted family it's a really important thing um but yeah I spent the first sort of three months or so um going to meetings and sitting there thinking oh my goodness because it was just it was also just when um the big change over to UEB was happening and thinking oh my goodness what have I what have I got myself in for this is this is an incredible world with huge like all these huge things that I know nothing about um and uh yeah kind of gradually gradually found my foot feet but I'm still still learning um all, all the time um so yeah it, I feel kind of immensely immensely privileged to uh, to be able to do that um so what is this marvelous job that you have what does clear vision do right so the main role of clear vision it's, it's a charity so we do a little bit of um kind of lobbying and pushing for um pe- people who want to read by touch to have access to the, the same books as everybody else um but our main function is to run a postal lending library of children's books which have been adapted so they as well as the mainstream print and pictures they also include braille or another touch reading language called moon um and we have also have a big collection of, of tactile picture books where all the pictures are specifically designed to be explored by touch um, and we lend these out um, by post using the Articles of the Blind Free Post service all across the UK and Ireland. I was going to ask you about the pictures because a lot of children's books have pictures in them. So it sounds mm-hmm. to me like you um, you have picture books and you have books with words in, but you don't kind of mix the two. Well, the the kind of the, the basic books in, in the collection are mainstream kids books and um, the kind that you pick up in any in a bookshop um, or public library with the braille added in um, but the pictures in most of those are much too busy and too complicated for children to to who are at the beginning of understanding tactile pictures and diagrams and things to under, to kind of take on at, at that point um, so we have a separate collection of tactile books and they've all, all got the text in, in print and braille as well but they also have tactile pictures that are kind of good for kind of ages three and three and upwards and I mean it's great for the the beginner braille reader as well I remember <laughs> when I borrowed clear vision books I got them through school and I'd get this book and I'd think oh this is a big book and then I'd see that every page only had about half you know half a page of braille <laughs> on it and I think actually yeah this isn't so bad actually I think you I can, can do this yeah I yeah. can just about get through this you know <laughs> and and they were really great books I mean they the, the braille was very high quality and, and it was on this um see-through plastic stuff um I guess with the with the print page underneath so you literally just cut the binder off the print book and interleave yeah. these th- these plastic sheets in with, yeah. with the braille. Yeah, we find that um, they, it works really well because obviously if you've got a child reading in the classroom, they're probably going to be sharing with um, a sighted teacher and teacher or teaching assistant and their peers, all of whom generally don't know braille. Um, so the idea is a kid can share a book in the classroom, the same book as everybody else, um, or they can ha- be supported to read 
um, by sighted friends and family, again, who often don't know Braille, um, although we do try to encourage them to uh, to, to give it a go. Um, so, yeah, there's on this, this clear plastic. So if you're sharing a book between people who've got sight and people who are reading the Braille, then the idea is that everyone can can be on the same page effectively can kind of share that together um and it's on this yeah the clear plastic stuff um works very well because obviously you can you can see through it if you're looking at the pictures um and it keeps the keeps the crispness really nicely yeah it really does you can't rub the dots out i tried as a child <laughs> to rub the dots out oh my goodness it uh it, it was unsuccessful um do you ever have it in the opposite direction you've talked a lot about Young children who are blind reading the books with their sighted parents. What about uh, young children who are sighted and uh, with blind parents? Absolutely. Yep. Um, I would say probably about a third of our family borrowers are parents or grandparents or uncles or older siblings, um, cousins, neighbours, childminders. Yep. Pretty much the full whack. Anyone who wants to read with a sighted child, um, who wants the braille, then... Um, yeah, we can be lend, uh, lend to lots of people who are doing and doing it that way around. And we also have people who, um, you know, read with us, borrow as children from us and then come back because they have a, they have children of their own. Um, and similarly, have parent borrowers who come back to read again with uh, with grandchildren, which is uh, really nice. Yeah, it must be really special just seeing mm-hmm. these people, you know, start off as children and then blossom into adults. Yep. I mean, normally there's a gap because most people move on from us to the RNIB library or other Braille sources um, when they no longer ha- need books for sharing. And they've kind of grown out of that point of needing some somebody reading along with them. But yeah, it's lovely when they come back. And for uh, adults, you know, blind adults with sighted children, is there anything specific that you can offer them? So obviously the um, there's a kind of general collection which are books that are transcribed either in grade one or grade two. Um, but we do have a, a specialist collection for adults reading with sighted children that include um, a little bit of picture description. So you'll have the, the main text of the story or poem or whatever it is, um, but a little bit um, of information as well um, to talk about the pictures and perhaps some locator dots that are stuck onto um the main the main parts of the picture um just so if you've got a little a little child um, and you're sat there on your lap with them them reading you can point things out in the picture or when they ask questions about the picture you can can talk about it um because that's particularly important for for little sort of kind of ages up to, up to kind of four or five yeah absolutely um, so are those picture descriptions written separately then on like a separate piece of paper so they're not cluttering up the picture for the child no, so they're on they're on the clear plastic. Um, so normally you have like a couple of lines of, lines of text, and then a gap, and then a bit about the picture description. Um, but oh, of course, because print has really wide can... margins, doesn't it? So you can just yeah, put it yeah. in the margin. Yeah, or just or below. Um, so it's just not it's not in the way. Um, but because the books are all um, comb bound, you can just flip the um, the clear plastic sheet over to the other side if you if you want to kind of point things out and talk about the picture anyway so it's out of the way of the the picture it's not not concealing anything um and in that collection as well we've got some kind of sort of kind of learning resources the kind of things that they're not they're not kind of schooly type learning resources but they're um books which have particular themes so perhaps um colors or shapes or 
um, concepts like above and below and stuff or alphabet books. Um, so if you've got a child who's learning those things, um, then you as a blind adult can can support them in in learning like the print alphabet, for example. Yeah, that's really innovative. I, I, half the stuff I don't even think is necessary and then you realise it exists <laughs> and you think, yes, I can absolutely see why you would need something like that. Yeah, and the thing is we're always, always open to suggestions as well. So if you're missing anything um, and people can let us know, then um, they, yeah, we can fill in any gaps because obviously everyone's, everyone's journey in, in terms of literacy, whether that's a child learning Braille or a Braille reading parent realising that, they're going to have to support a, a sighted child in learning to read. Um, yeah, it's always different. So um, if people have particular things that they need, then they can can just give us a shout and we can see whether we can can add them. And the the Braille, um, I guess you're doing grade one and grade two and single and double spaced and you know yep. all of those sorts of combinations because it's for children <laughs> after all. Yes. Um, so. Pretty much everything is added in both grade one and grade two, um, and we kind of we started. We had a, a double line space collection for ages and ages now, um, but we're actually starting to see more people request it. So we're kind of building that up. Yeah, I'd, uh, when I was taught Braille, I was taught double spaced Braille, and then I was very quickly moved on to single space Braille. But mm -hmm. I'm starting to see a trend now of people being more and more reluctant to move on to single line space Braille. So that may be uh, where that comes from. Talk us through the transcription process a bit. I've got visions of sort of, you know, somebody sat at home with a Perkins brailer and a load of plastic sheets and a print book, you know, transcribing really carefully and making sure there are no mistakes and all that sort of stuff. Um, yep. <clears throat> is, is that actually how it works? Yeah, it is actually. Um, so we have several um, freelance transcribers and they're all over the country. Um, and some of them specialise in, in particular things. So we've got one person who really loves doing the board books and the, the chunky, robust uh, books for babies and toddlers. Um, and that's all transcribed on a Perkins onto clear, sticky back plastic, um, the DL11 stuff you get from yeah, the RIB yeah, shop. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of fitted around things like um, flaps to lift and textures to find and scratch and sniff spaces and um uh, sound buttons to to press um but the majority is yeah it's on this clear this clear this clear plastic um sheets and they I'm, I'm lucky i get to choose the books um so i spend quite a lot of time sat on the floor in waterstones books um which piles of books around me finding books that will work well um when they're in terms of like layout and whether or not um the story makes sense if you can't see the pictures which is quite a key thing in children's books um and then i send them off to to freelance transcribers they braille them all up um and then they go to, through to our um our proofreader who checks them all through uh, makes sure it all makes sense um and they come back to us and then we catalog them put them out on the shelves um and send them off to people the um the longer books because we also do short chapter books so from when so children moved on from kind of sort of picture book um, level to um, starting to read more confidently, more fluently, but perhaps still need a, a sighted person reading along to kind of encourage and um, help with difficult vocabulary and stuff. So they're not quite reading independently. Um, 
those books are actually brailled for us um, at HMP Garth in the in the braille unit there. Okay, so those are just embossed on on paper. They go onto paper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because, then you include a print copy of the book. With yeah, exactly. Them. They go together in a in a folder. Um, so those I've got those slightly slightly longer ones as well. Must introduce challenges though. Like if a book gets lost in the post, that means that somebody's got to rebraille the whole book. I guess it does. Um, less so if it's been produced by the braille unit because they keep the files and they can emboss us out extra extra copies or extra pages sometimes if uh, there's been a, a, a water accident or uh, someone's had a good uh, good crunch at the edge of a page yeah. for example <laughs> um, we can substitute those in um, but yeah it does mean replacing replacing a book um, in its entirety um, and you know sometimes they work their way back to us um, they've been sat in the corner of a sorting office for, for weeks on end and finally turn up again but yeah I mean the the average life of the book varies greatly um, so uh, a board book might only last in our library a couple of months um, because it will have little exploring fingers pulling and touching and um, yeah, kind it's of. They uh, explore a bit too much. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> um, I spend a lot of my life replacing um, sound buttons and batteries in sound button books. I would say, um, but equally, um, the the picture books, picture book format um, that you you mentioned with the clear plastic pages, um, they can last for years and years. Um, and they can get loads and loads of use. So in terms of um, kind of value for money for people who, who donate to us, because we, we are a charity, we, we don't get any um, statutory funding or anything. Um, it's really nice because, you know, they're, they're donating something that is going to last for, for years and, and potentially dozens and dozens of kids. Um, but it also means that environmentally it's pretty good. Um, we are using plastic, but it's plastic that's going to have a really good good shelf life, literally and metaphorically. So I think you said it's free to join the library and free to use the library. And it, and mm-hmm. the post is through Articles for the Blind. So that's free as well, which yeah. it, which is great. I mean, I, I almost want to say, what's the catch? Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there is one. But but what are the mechanics? Because, I mean, you, I imagine a child could get through a book fairly quickly and you don't really want to be going you know, to and from the post office all the time. I mean, do you do you send out more than one book at once or how does that work? Absolutely. Um, so it's free for families to join. Um, schools, we um, schools and sensory support services, we we charge fifty pounds a year, which essentially is just to get them to send their books back at the end of the year, because <laughs> um, obviously it's only a, a fraction of what actually the cost of actually producing a loan and, yeah, and lending sure. it. Um, but the for families, it's free, and they you borrow. We send out six books to begin with, um, and they all turn up in a big blue Velcro shut bag. And then what we say is change three at a time. So when you finish with three, you put them back in the bag, turn the address card over, either hand them in at the post office or a lot of people get collections from home at the moment. Um, and then you've got three to read whilst we're swapping the other three. And you can do that as often as you like. Um, our deliveries go out every Friday. So normally if you send the books back early in the week, you might be getting another set right, out you'd be in luck, later in yeah. the week. Or if it's late, if it only turns up on Thursday, it's probably going to be the following week. Um, but um, yeah, we kind of try and keep things keep things going and make sure people have plenty of fresh stuff to read. Yeah, that makes sense. There's nothing worse, is there, when you're an avid reader than a lack of books? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not an avid reader, but I'm told this reliably <laughs> by lots of people who are avid readers. And yeah. uh, and those books, that those bags sound a bit like the RNIB book bags. And it, it is worth pointing out that you can get them collected. A lot of people don't realise this, but yeah, yeah. Articles for the Blind will actually come to your house 
and pick them up if that's what you need to do. So you don't need to worry about going to the post office if it's too far away. Yeah. Um, what some people do as well, if they're reading with children, they don't see that frequently. Um, so, for example, you've got parents, grandparents um, who uh, have grandchildren at the other end of the country or reading abroad. Um, they just ring us up and say, send me some books. Um, and we, when they know they're going to have a visit and we send those and then they just return it and we just keep their keep um return those books and then don't send anything else until they want some more so you can you can kind of be flexible about it so you're not always tripping over stuff that is um cluttering up your house yeah when you don't need it and and I guess do you hold a a profile of the sorts of books that people want to borrow I mean I could just imagine Mm. a child turns up at their well-meaning grandparents house and the grandparents borrowed a book that actually the child really just doesn't get on (laughs) with it at all yeah, so we are in the process of putting our entire catalogue online. So um, people can just go and they have like a, a login on page and they can just create a, um, a wish list for what they what they want next. So that can be really helpful if you know what a child's going to be doing in school next term. Um, you can kind of reserve things. Um, or if you've got yeah, a kid who's particularly into something, you can look through the catalogue and pick something that is um is going to meet their their strong desire to read about tractors or diggers or mud or whatever it is that... yeah you'd be amazed at what people want to read about <laughs> yeah my, my my personal favorite um and i wonder if, if the family is listening whether they'll remember it um we had uh two two braille reading parents um sign up and i said well what what kind of things is your child into and he thought for a moment and said at the moment pressing buttons on the washing machine and shouting yep. at the guide dog and we managed to <laughs> find a book about washing machines for this child um there aren't, there aren't many out there but we did and i was dead i was dead chuffed about this um and got, got a lovely thank you from, from the family yeah, yeah. Um, no i can well imagine i remember as a child it was it was keys for me i wanted to uh, unlock doors and unlock doors and then um that progressed into car keys and i didn't want to drive the car i just wanted to start it and record the engine sounds we all have our personal tastes <laughs> the one thing to say is that um putting the library catalog online it's taking a long time because we're having to make um or get gets made i should say um adaptations to the the library software um because there are not many um library uh, kind of catalog software where you can put your uh, your collection online that's accessible via screen reader um yeah. so we've had yeah we've actually had to get um get the company to make several several big changes to that um and now we're in the process of uploading everything and adding in things like picture descriptions for um for cover cover art um so um yeah it's a slow process but we're getting there um and at some point we are going to um we're going to need some uh, some testers so if anyone wants to volunteer for that um that would oh, be would be lovely i'm um, sure you'll find someone but it, it's really great to see actually that that level of commitment i mean making the software accessible is one thing but adding the picture descriptions for the cover art i mean as somebody who's never seen pictures i would have never thought to do this i'm sure i would think about it when i have children but it just never occurred to me that you'd need to do that but it makes so much sense now you've pointed it out yeah it's the kind of thing that doesn't does need to be done as kind of as a separate a separate task um that can be really important particularly you know if you've got um 
uh, an adult going through with a sighted child who's pointing at that and going, that one, that one, um, the one with the dog on it is, yeah, it's not, yeah. Very, not very helpful. Okay. No, it <laughs> um, isn't, but I can well imagine a child doing it. Absolutely. Um, particularly, obviously, as, as children get progressively more, more tech savvy. Um, I can't imagine many three-year-olds navigating an online library catalogue uh, by themselves. So, um, yeah, it's important to have that kind of stuff there. But in the meantime, before that goes live, um, uh, just ring us. Um, because uh, although we're a small charity, we try and have, make sure there's someone in the office as, as much as possible. Um, you can just give us a ring and let us know kind of what things you'd like. And obviously, we, we take information about a child's interests when they join the library um so uh so yeah we can just email and say my kid is doing the wish fish in school next term um and if we've got a copy we'll put it by for you the next time you um next time you change your books it goes in there now there's a really exciting uh tactile graphics competition mm-hmm. i want to pronounce it and i can't what is it the the, the tiflo or tiflo and tactus Tiflo, Tiflo and yes. Tactus International Tactile Book Competition. Okay, yeah. I've just about got through it. So, so what is it? I mean, I think I know what it is, but I mean, is it really as simple as what it says on the tin? Um, it kind of is actually. So, um, it's, it was, I think it was its twentieth anniversary last contest, which was two years ago. So, yeah, twenty-one this year, uh, coming of age, and the. Um, the idea behind it is to encourage people who have perhaps never experimented in in tactile de- uh, picture design before um, to to give it a go. So it runs. I think there are twenty three countries entering this time around. Um, and yeah, the idea is um, because obviously in a lot of countries um, there is a dearth of picture books for children. Um, in this country, I think there are a dearth of picture books um, that are accessible, yeah. um, and often, particularly for for young children, um, it's it's not just a case of taking a print image and raising up the lines, and that being something that the children can understand. It's not, uh, yeah, it's kind of at the beginning, at the beginning end in particular. You need pictures which are going to um, connect with a child's experiences um, of the real world. Um, and therefore having something that perhaps has the the shape and the texture of a tree or um, a, a horse or whatever it is, um, is really important. So having picture books that are actually designed to do that, to, to make that connection between illustration and actual real world um, can be really important, particularly in the beginning stages. So the idea of the competition is to try and get as many people as possible thinking about designing a, a tactile book from the outset that is going to work for children up to the age of 12 who've got little or no sight. Um, and yeah, it's it's great fun. Um, so we have entries, um, as I said, from loads of different countries. Um, each country has its own national judging round. Um, Clear Vision is hosting the UK's judging round. Um, and then we're allowed to send the five best books from each country to the international judging, which will be in October. And then this year is, is going to be in Padua in Italy, assuming COVID, COVID allowing. Um, so, yeah, and then those 
there, yeah, those entries are then whittled down to a final 10 and then a final three and then the best, basically the best tactile book in the world, um, allegedly. Um, and yeah, there's a 500 euro prize um, this year and anyone can enter and it's free. Um, so yeah, why not? Well, there you go. So, I mean, so Clear Vision is judging the UK round when you say yeah. the, the the final round is judged in Italy, is that all Italian judges that are judging the, the final no. round? Um, so there's a representative um, from each of the, the the countries who in the I think eight um, countries who kind of started the con- the contest. Um, I'm hoping to go from the from the UK as the UK judge, and it's incredible because you just sit in a, in a massive room with all these wonderful books, and you have three days to kind of whittle down. Um, and all of the, all the books are, um, the languages of the competition are in English and French. So um, countries like, sort of like Germany or Poland or Sweden or wherever um, get their, their scripts translated um, into either English or French. And um, yeah, the judges sit, sit around and it's really, really interesting, actually, um, from an internal perspective, like um, seeing what different countries value in their tactile picture books for children. So we're very literal in the UK. Um very similar actually to Poland and the Netherlands um, in that we we like things to be quite realistic um, and there's there's space for um, sort of imagination and creativity and things um, whereas I find that France and Italy are much more whimsical um, in the uh, and, and less literal in the um, in the I think the topics they they choose so um, they've been some wonderful wonderful entries um, Italy a couple of years ago uh, had a book which was all about about dreaming and whether dreams um turn into clouds and things so yeah there's some 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 oh, weird and wonderful stuff out there yeah i'm i guess the biggest mistake that people make um over here when i was when i was a child people would give me books that i mean we've, we've sort of touched on it already but they'd give me books and they'd say yes this this has got some amazing pictures in it and you'd think yes they're amazing if you can see them but if you can feel them, even if they're not necessarily cluttered, you know, they, they might be fairly simple pictures, but they still um, don't make a great deal of sense. I mean, you were talking mm-hmm. about trees and horses. A tree I might be able to make out, although I might think it's a cross or a star. Um, yeah. A horse, I mean, I've got no chance. I, I, I could think it was it was anything. Um, and, and that's just, you know, because I haven't seen enough pictures of horses, I, I suspect, but also because there's not much of a standard way of showing a horse um no. i mean it, is that the case everywhere uh, or are some countries better at dealing with that than others i think it depends on the kind of pedagogical route that children have um taken when they're being taught about um about how how to interpret tactile images so i mean in the uk if i was going to do a book about a horse i probably wouldn't have um sort of a large body with four legs coming off and a head coming off the end I might have might put a a patch of um sort of horsehair type uh fabric and then perhaps some some long actual horsehair to be a mane um because it's not the shape of a horse far away but it might well be a child's experience of having a horse in a a petting zoo if they've gone riding themselves 
Um, and maybe you could have a little bit of a bit of leather on there, like a leather patch, a leather strap across the page, which would feel like reins. Um, so you're kind of connecting into what their their experience is more likely to have been than perhaps seeing a horse in the distance. Um, in the same way you would depict it for for a sighted child who's used to perhaps seeing horse, seeing horses out of a, a car window, perhaps. Um, so it's kind of different. It's about locking into that kid's experience. That's really fascinating because I would never have thought about doing that. But as soon as you said it, I thought, yeah, actually, it would certainly be more meaningful than a picture of a horse anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that would probably work. Or at least I could be I could be taught more easily <laughs> what that sort of thing meant. So you've got all these amazing books that people have made. And I guess the, the standard of entry is quite high. Um, what happens to them? Because, I mean, one book gets to be the winner and the rest of them doesn't. But, I mean, is there a gallery of books or do people get their books back? Or, like, what what happens? It depends what they want to do with them. Um, personally, I hope that they, they'll donate them to, to Clear Vision because then we can put make them part of the lending library and send them out. Um, but, obviously, some people want to hang on to them um, or are, want to keep one that might make us a copy that we could have in the library. Um, the... The ultimate winner of the the contest um, goes to um, Le Dwakirev, the Dreaming Fingers, um, uh, in France, who organise the whole the whole competition. They have an archive of of winners from previous competitions. Um, but yeah, the, the majority go back to their home country and get used and get get loaned out. So we've got um, in Clairvision, we've we've got um, entries from from lots of years that we we send off because we. We lend the tactile books um, to schools and sensory support services um, and they can be used with any, any child from the age of three upwards. Um, and it's a real mixture of, of kids who use them, actually. Um, so some are potential braillists or already are on their way to way to learning Braille. Um, but they're also borrowed by children who perhaps aren't going to never be readers in the conventional sense because they might have quite serious learning disabilities or... Um, have very complex needs um but they still enjoy the exploring of, of the finding and things to find on, on the page under their fingers while someone's reading the book to them um so yeah they're used by a really wide really wide range of uh, of children and teenagers as well i sh- should mention because of course not everyone comes to um come to braille as a, as a child yeah and especially if they've got learning difficulties um that they may still wish to have access to children's books um even yeah. as teenagers and, and people do sometimes do books specifically for um, for young for teenagers and young adults as well. So we've got some. I've got one here next to me actually. It's all about monsters, um, and it's there's a poem about. Uh, we've got a ghost, a yeti, a dragon, a harpy, the Loch Ness monster, and a vampire, and a picture that goes with each of those. And yeah, I mean that's borrowed quite quite frequently by kind of children at the, the lower end of um, of secondary school or older teenagers who've got. Um, uh, learning disabilities um, because it's not it's not too babyish basically yeah no it's hard when we try and teach braille to people we've got the abbey books and we've got takeoff but um, if you're trying to teach braille to somebody who's sort of you know 15 16 they don't want to be reading the abbey books and takeoff but you know what what, what do you give them to read instead so it's good uh, to see there are tactile books out there if not meeting the braille need then certainly meeting the tactile discrimination and the the, the imaging need well, you can still come to us because we've got a, a short, a, it's a fairly small collection because not there's not an awful lot that's published. Um, but we've got a collection specifically for um, teenagers who have come to Braille late. They're quite 
simple books. They're the um, the interlude ones from the plastic pages. Um, so the language is quite simple, um, and the um, there's only like a couple of lines of braille per page, um, but it can be something that um, schools quite often borrow them. And if they've got if they've got either a reluctant reader or someone who's come to braille later, perhaps as a teenager, um, and they can borrow from there as well. So going back to the competition then, if if we've got someone who wants to enter, um, I think I read somewhere that the competition happens every two years. That's right. Um, that's right. Okay. So if they want um, inspiration for what to do, is there anything that they can do? I mean, I, I guess they could sign up to Clear Vision and borrow a book and that would give them <laughs> some inspiration. Um I understand you, you've you've run some workshops. I guess there's there's no more workshops coming up, but um, uh, yeah, <laughs> probably probably not by the time this gets broadcast. I'm doing one tonight and one in a couple of days, um, but I'm also doing one um, in June uh, as well. Um, which, if people email Clear Vision, I can send you through the the link for that because it's um, it's actually being hosted by uh, the Wandsworth uh, Century Support Service, but. Um, anyone's allowed to, to join that. Um, and th these workshops, I should explain, have mostly been um, explaining to sighted people who have never encountered a tactile book before um, how to go about designing a book that will work well um, with tactile pictures um, because it's often a, a massive mental gear change for them. Um, but if you can't make a workshop, um, we have guides on our website that you can just download. Um, and they kind of talk through the basics on on how to how to create how to create design an image so that it works well by touch, um, and how to actually physically create a book. Um, and obviously, if you're if you're a brailleist, you can put the print the the, the text in, in in braille. But for most people, um, we say just send us through the the book, and we'll have the braille for you. So, how do people apply, and what's the deadline for application? So um, you will need an application form, which again, you can download from the Clear Vision website. Um, and then you need to send us the, the finished book um, and the application form um, by the 29th of August, which sounds a long time away, but actually when you actually get sort of get, get stuck in and start making things, um, uh, isn't is actually coming up quite fast. Um, and then on the application form, there's a space to tell us whether you want to donate the book to the library or whether you want to um, uh, have it back at the end of the competition. Um, and then, yeah, we'll receive them and, and uh, our, first, uh, our first, the UK judging round will, uh, will take place. And then who knows, maybe your book will, will go on, on to, uh, to the international judging. It'll be lovely to have a, a UK winner. We had, we had a UK winner six years ago i think now um okay so it does happen it does <laughs> you happen. could be in you know you see these competitions and you think oh i'm never gonna win this but yeah <laughs> it, it does actually happen people do win yeah and this is the interesting thing um because quite a lot of people it's their first tactile book it's the first time they've made one um last last competition three out of the five um that we sent to the international judging were people who'd never made, made a book before um but they've done a really good job um, so they got selected so it's um yeah don't feel it's a, an insurmountable thing um but they do need to be really physically robust um so they can be given to children because they 
um, the, some of the judging panel obviously are our children. Um, and they said that it will survive um, sort of exploration by, uh, by curious fingers. Um, but it doesn't, doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. It just needs to be good and robust and solid and interesting and uh, inspiring for, for children who are reading by touch. Yeah. And I mean, it needs to go through the post as well. I mean, this is setting aside, yeah, yeah, setting aside children. I mean, of course, children are going to explore the book, but I mean, if it, if it doesn't survive the sorting office, it's probably not going to survive children either. Well, Alex, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the program. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say that I haven't given you opportunity to say? Um, no, really, except um, obviously the competition is, is there if anyone would like to enter it or if they know anyone um, who wants more information, they can always um, always forward them to, to Clearvision um, and we will uh, give, them, give them the information. Um, if you'd like to join the library, um, either if you have a... Um, a braille a child who's going to be learning braille or might be learning braille because obviously we take take children from um, from birth so uh, if it's the case that um it's not clear yet whether or not they're going to be a braillist or a large print reader but you just want to get them started and in terms of finding braille under their fingers long before they actually start learning to read um then, then it's very easy for them to sign up similarly if you're a braille reading adult and you've got kids you would like to read with either regularly or once once every six months um you can can join the library and um you can have books books sent, sent to you for that um either way there are various ways to join you could email us um the email address is info info at clearvisionproject.org or you could telephone us um on 0208 or you could fill in the form on our website, which is to be found at www.clearvisionproject.org. Alexandra Britton and all of the details that have just been mentioned are also in the show notes on our website at brailcast.com. That's all for this episode of Brailcast. Thanks very much for listening. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to us by searching for Brailcast in your favourite podcast client, or you can ask your favourite smart speaker to play Brailcast. And if it doesn't play, try asking it to play Brailcast Connecting the Dots for Brailists everywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at Brailists, that's for the Brailists Foundation, and you can email us with any ideas that you have for future episodes or indeed comments on this and previous episodes. The email address is help at brailists.org. That's help at brailists.org. For now, I've been Matthew Horspool. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye for now.